Um, uh, so, <clears throat> yeah, uh, um, unchanging God, unchanging God. So today is um, uh, my daughter's 15th birthday. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, uh, all you parents, you all know this. How did that happen? How, how is she 15? How, 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 I mean, I know how it happened. It happened one day at a time, right? And all, I know all you parents are like, yep, yep, yep. And, and so, you know, I think in a couple of months, uh, Blake, a couple of months, Blake, Blake will be um, uh, 16, and that's crazy enough. And then next month, um, our oldest, Richie, will be 18. Yeah, right? Gasp. No way. It's like, no way. That's crazy. It's, you know, things, how, how is that possible that, you know, that, that my boy, you know, Blake, Rich in particular, the oldest, he's, you know, walking around all mannish in the house and stuff. I'm like, hey, 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 man, uh, 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 uh. Get up off of me. Come on, man. It ain't like that. You ain't paid. Never mind. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> you ain't paid. Dang. You Whoa. Oh, change, right? Wow. 1962, an executive at Decca Records uh, had an audition with a band. And this is the quote that he said, groups with guitars are on the way out. Sorry, can't use you. Well, it turned out that that band uh, uh, would take, well, I don't know if they already had the name, the Beatles, and all they did was change the music industry. Uh, VH1 has, uh, and many other people will consider them the greatest band of all time. Okay, wow. Uh, swing and a miss on that one, but unfortunately the same record company when they... Um, uh, had an opportunity to see another up-and-coming band. They they jumped right on it. That band was called the Rolling Stones, so they didn't miss on that one. In the 1940s, it was the head of a major electronics uh, company who decided uh, not to make television sets. Now, again, this was 1940, in the 1940s. This was the reasoning behind it. Makes sense to me. He said, the problem with television is that people must sit and keep their eyes glued to a screen. The average American family hasn't time for that. They will never sit indoors long enough. Television will never find wide acceptance. There's no way. There's no way. That guy is, uh, I don't know. All right, you know what? Hey. Uh, 1949 Popular Mechanics magazine, quote, computers in the future may weigh no more than 1.5 tons. So just think, just think we get this thing down to 1.5 tons, huh? That's what he was thinking. Um, here's another uh, famous quote. Uh, this telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. William Orton, president of Western Union in 1876 when Alexander Graham Bell tried to sell the company his invention. Yeah, gasp. <laughs> they could have bought the, the rights to the telephone. Ooh, oh, well, swing and a miss. Hey, but enough about Atlanta. Let's move on. Um, um, I read one quote that says, From the days of the Lord Jesus Christ until about 1830, Man could travel no faster than a horse. 
from the days Christ walked the earth to 1830. Uh, I, that, well, wow. How things have changed. Uh, change is something that we like. Some do. Some people love change. You know, growing up in the military, uh, I sort of, I don't know, embraced change because every two, two and a half years, we moved. And it wasn't just a simple move. It might have been a move from uh, Germany to Colorado Springs, back to another part of Germany, uh, to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, to Nashville, Tennessee, to beautiful, wonderful, amazing Fort Irwin, California. What? We're going to California. Woo-hoo! Mom, what's the Mojave Desert? What is that? I've never even, don't even... Is that on the map somewhere? I don't know. China Lake Naval Training... What? What is... And Barstow. What's that? What's Barstow? I thought we were going to California. We are, son. We're going to Fort Irwin. Huh? Every junior hire's dream, uh, living in the desert... 115 degrees, horny toads, coyotes, and sidewinder snakes. (laughs) Hey, come to think of it, it's right outside here, isn't it? You don't have to go very far. Um, So I want to ask you a question this morning. I want to ask you about uh, one word to describe God. All right, so would you just take take 10 seconds, turn the person next to you, and answer the question, how would you describe God with one word? Okay, go. You have 10 seconds. One word, one word. All right, can I get a little bit of audience participation? Uh, give me a few hands. What did you what did you come up with? One word. Yes. Love. Awesome. Love. Unchanging. Hey, it kind of fits right in with the message. Yeah, I'm sorry? Almighty. Wonderful. Omnipresent. Everywhere, all at the same time. Forgiving. What else? Glorious. Yes. Majestic. Wow. We could actually spend the rest of service doing this, couldn't we? I think I think I think we could just keep keep on going. And you know, kind of in heaven, that's kind of part of what I think we'll be doing. We'll just be praising and worshiping and we'll just be just caught up in his glory and, and, and his majesty. Um, I have a few words that I wrote down to uh, to uh, 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 describe God. Um, it's kind of hard to do, isn't it? Describe God in one word. Uh, how do you do that? Well, uh, a couple of words in the word of God say he's incomparable. How about that to start? He's incomparable. Define God. You can't. He's incomparable. Second uh, Samuel seven twenty two. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. Here's a good word. Everybody repeat this word. Inscrutable. Yeah, I think we need to resurrect that word. Inscrutable. Isaiah forty twenty eight. Do you not know? This is the Lord speaking about himself. Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is, what's that word? Inscrutable. Uh, it is incapable of being fathomed or understood by inquiry or study. Um, It's difficult to be explained or understood. That's what inscrutable means. The Bible also says he's unequaled. 
Isaiah 40, 18 says, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? Verse 25, To whom then will, uh, will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. He's incomparable, he's inscrutable, and he's unequaled. And not only that, he's unsearchable. <laughs> you know, wait a minute, how do you find a God who's unsearchable? Well, hold on, hold on. Romans 11, 30, uh, 11, 33 and 34 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him, and to him are all things, and it's almost as if Paul the Apostle just took a drink out of a fire hydrant and just can't contain it and says, to him be the glory um, forever, and let the church say, amen. I always love it in the New Testament when there's a good hearty amen in there. You know, Paul the Apostle was like, that's an amen right there. Wow. Wow. Uh, so he is infinite. We believe in a God who had no beginning and has no end and exists outside of time, matter, and energy. That he created all of those things. So First Kings 8.27 says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built, King Solomon said. He is infinite. He is also eternal. Um, Isaiah 57, 15, the high and lofty one lives in eternity. His works are marvelous or wonderful. It says in Psalm 139, 14, which is an amazing psalm about the birth process and God knitting us together in our mother's womb. He says, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Do you know, does your soul know that? Do you know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? Uh, do you know that he knit you together and he created you um, and, and has stamped, and, and Isaiah says he's, he's inscribed you on the palm of his hand. Apparently God has a tattoo on his hand and your name is on it. That's literally what that means. It's, it's inscribed there. His works are marvelous and his ways are perfect. Psalm 1830, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield to all those who take refuge in him. And we could spend the rest of the year talking about the attributes of God, his ways and his works. We could spend five years talking about that, and I think we might just scratch the surface, maybe, about this God that we worship. And so, how do you tell someone about this God? We just, infinite, eternal, unsearchable, I mean, uh, uh, incomparable, inscrutable, unequaled. So tell me about your God. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, how much time you got? Um, well, um, one of the other word, 
words that defines God is he is unchangeable. He's un- so he's all of those things that we said, and he's unchangeable. Okay? How many of you guys like change? couple. How many of you don't care for, for change much at all? God is unchangeable. All right? Uh, Numbers chapter 23, there's a, there's a prophet by the name of Balaam. And, and there are some people who know the story about Balaam. This was the guy who had a, who, who was a prophet, but he was a prophet for hire, also known as a seer, someone that occasionally God would speak through, although we're not really sure what kind of relationship he had with God. Nonetheless, God used him and God spoke through him, which means there's hope for me. And he has uh, uh, the ability to hear from God and to give a message And so there's a king who's not happy with the people of God, Israel, and he wants them cursed. He's a Moabite king, and Israel is his enemy, so he hires this man to curse the people of God. And um, uh, and so so, many people know the story of Balaam. He's the one who, as he's in the process of trying to curse the people of God, his, his donkey gets in a real tough position and 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 is sort of like you know crushing his leg up against a wall and 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 Balaam gets mad and he's beating his donkey and in a very very hilarious portion of scripture the donkey talks to Balaam like yo man why are you just whooping on me like that you know something to that effect and 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 what i think is even more ironic or even more comical to me in my per, per, one of my, the favorite scripture verses, not in the context of theology, but just of just irony, is that he answers the donkey. To me, that's amazing. I mean, come on, if you went home and your dog, you walked in the door and your dog said, hey, yo, what up? What's up? I missed you. You'd be like, <laughs> get the camera, get the camera, because you want to be a, a YouTube sensation, I know. You want 85 million hits, and there's probably an award for that or some money involved or something. I don't know. I mean, you know, you would. like. Uh, <laughs> can you do this again? <laughs> you know? <laughs> or is it going to be like the frog in the old Warner Brothers uh, com- uh, uh, cartoon? You guys remember that? How many of you guys are that old? Remember the frog? Yeah, see, look at you guys. You all know. Young people are like, what is he talking? I don't even understand this guy. Don't worry. Anyway, all right, so the king brings them to a place where they worship their false god. They're called high places in the Old Testament. And uh, sure enough, the Lord speaks through this prophet, and this is what the Lord says through him. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? And it turns out that he pours, he, he speaks a blessing on the people of Israel. And really, Balaam had some profound things to say, as a matter of fact. And, uh, and of course, the, the king is all mad at this. And so this evil king takes him up, up to a mountain so he has a greater view of, of, of this group of people, which is probably in the millions. And he says, okay, now curse them. And, you know, Balaam, you know, to, to his defense, he says, I can only say what God tells me, man. I, I, I just want you know that, but, you know, just have that check ready, too, okay? Because that's really what he was all about. And um, he was all about getting paid. And, 
And so he takes him up to another vantage point. Maybe this king is thinking that, you know what, if I change locations, maybe I can change the mind of God. Um, but there was something about God that he didn't know that Balaam was about to tell him. So Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 says this. This is what the, the prophet for hire says. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried through? Man, that is profound. And in, we're going to unpack this, but man, how many of us need to even hear that word today? That God is, number one, not a man. He's not a man. Um, Isaiah 55, 8 says, God speaking, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Um, for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And as far as the earth to the heavens, that's an infinite distance. I mean, there's no, as far as we know, there's no end to space. It just keeps going at infinity, at infinitum. Uh, but God says, that's how, that's how far my thinking and my ways are, than your ways and your thinking. And I think that one of the reasons for that is because it's difficult to under, understand God because we expect him sometimes to act in a way that we understand um, or to react in a way that we would react. Um, we, we can take some of the attributes that the Bible tells us that apply to God and give them human characteristics that he should act like. For example, God's a jealous God. Oh, we go, we get jealousy. I mean, who hasn't been jealous? No, no, it's not like human jealousy. We know that God, uh, that God expresses anger, uh, but it's not the kind of anger that we kind of um, uh, can, can, can experience uh, because his ways are not our ways. I mean, we, we, we get uh, 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 angry or want revenge, and so we read that God can be like that. We say, okay, God, take revenge out on them. Get those people for what they come on, God. Show me that human expression of vengeance. Remember the, the sons of thunder who uh, were, were trying to tell the, the good news of Jesus to the Samaritan people, and the Samaritan people rejected them. And, and James and John said, hey, don't worry, Jesus, we got this. We're going to call down fire on them because <laughs> that's what humans do. They rejected you. We're going to protect you. They dishonored your word. We're going to toast them. And Jesus said, no, I, you don't even know. You don't even, you don't even know what kind of spirit you have. You know where that came from? I did not come to kill, destroy. I came to give life. Yeah, but they were thinking what? In, in human terms. And so trying to understand or explain a God who doesn't act like us. And by the way, would you really want to worship a God that you always understood? You know what that's called? That's called religion. You make up your own rules and you make them in such a way that they feed your ego. They feed your appetites. They feed your flesh. 
I mean, that's what the, the pagan gods of the Old Testament were all about that. It was all about appeasing themselves. And I mean, who'd want a God that you always knew what his next move is? I mean, I mean, I mean, wouldn't there be like like no mystery in that? Isn't there something in our relationship with God? Isn't there something like like a mystery to it? Uh, isn't there isn't there a, 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 a sense of faith? Like if you always knew what God's next step was, you wouldn't need faith. And in fact, if you always knew what was going to happen next, you'd be God. But that's not the way it is. Now, we like that and we want that, but it's not the way that God is. And, and, and there are people who, who don't worship God uh, uh, because, you know, they, they say things like, well, you know, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? And it's like... You know, just because you can put together some words doesn't mean that it's a, 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 it's a nonsensical question. It's like being a married bachelor. It, those are words you can throw together. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, well, well, see, see, you don't have an answer for that. No, because it's not even a logical question. Okay, if you want an answer, here's the answer. No, he can't, but he reserves the right to. One person got it. Thank you. appreciate that. Two, brother in the back. I see your hand back there. Right? Because people want to understand the mysteries of God. And you know what God says? Hey, the, the, thing, the, 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 the great things, my, many, many things of God have been made known to you. Um, uh, uh, the secret things of God are not known. Everything else is known by your sons and daughters. So there's the secret things of God. You know, people ask questions. I don't always have answers. Well, what about this? I go, that's a good one, man. I don't know. You don't know? See, God doesn't exist. No, man. Nobody knows the answer to every question about God. That's what makes it so amazing. See, isn't that part of what makes marriage so beautiful and so mysterious and so difficult at times and yet so glorious? And so y'all even haven't heard where I'm going yet and you're already laughing. No, I mean, it's like he takes two who are the same species and yet are very different as man and wife. And he says, now come together and, and, and exhibit, show my, my creative genius and my glory. Because, gals, I, I know there's times when you look at your spouse, your husband, and you go, how can you not understand that? It is, it's put, it is like if, it would not be any clearer if I wrote it on the wall. Are you serious? Like, all my friends get it. How come you don't? Uh, Because I'm a dude? I don't know. I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, my gosh, right? It's crazy. And, guys, aren't there times where you just look at your wife and you think, wow, I'm, um, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I No, really. I, no, I I don't know. I don't know. You know, when, guys, when your wife asks you, what are you thinking right now? And you're not thinking anything? No, you're really not thinking anything. What are you thinking right now? Nothing. Oh, come on. You can't think nothing. No. You've heard this, ladies. We have a nothing box, and we go there all the time. (laughs) It is not an excuse to not tell you what we're really thinking. We really aren't thinking anything. (laughs) And all the men said, oh, that was weak, man. Where's my help? Oh, I need some backup, fellas. Anyway, seriously. Now watch today. That's going to happen, right? And somebody's going to get me in trouble. No, that's what you always say. Ever since Sunday church, you in your nothing box. I don't even want to hear it, you know. No, seriously. (laughs) 
the beauty. I mean, how marriage, if, if, if it wasn't that tension of just, okay, we got to work through this because I'm not tracking with you at all, but I want to. I want to, okay, maybe I'll never understand, but I want to hear you, right? That's that, ooh, right? We just came from a marriage conference. We're all fired up about all these marriage things, right? We know, we know the answers. Where were we? Okay, God is not a man. Okay, secondly, God doesn't lie. God doesn't lie. People tell me, oh, see, the Bible contradicts itself. There's thousands of contradictions in the Bible. Are you calling God a liar? Well, show me the contradictions. Well, you know, what about this? What about that? Oh, okay, we can spend all day on, the contra- on, on what you believe are contradictions. God doesn't lie. The ninth commandment, God tells Israel, don't lie. Hey, it turns out that being honest is more than just a good virtue, right? Isn't it interesting that maybe an employer would say, don't bring your Christianity into the workplace, but yet we need you to be honest. Oh, okay, but I thought you didn't want my Christianity in the workplace. That has nothing to do with uh, Christianity. Oh, big different. It has everything to do with Christianity because, see, the reason that I'm honest is because my Savior Jesus is the truth, and because he spoke truth and lived truth, I live truth. So my reason for being trustworthy is because it's tied to the very character and nature of Jesus. What's your reason for being truth? Because in many cultures of the world, uh, uh, dishonesty is a virtue. It's held in high regard. Oh, you're so deceivious. You must marry my daughter. I'm not trying to have an accent here of any kind. Don't try to place it. I'm not trying to do that. No, I'm serious. And how do you argue that that culture is wrong and your culture is right just because you think it's right and they think it's wrong. They think it's okay to lie. How do you justify that? Well, see, we justify because it's who Jesus is because his commandments are always tied to who, God, who he is. And guess what? We, God doesn't lie. So therefore, we don't lie. We live in truth. Thirdly, God doesn't change his mind. All his promises and his covenants are true. He doesn't change. His character remains the same. God doesn't say one thing Monday and something else Tuesday. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. How about when Jonah is going through Nineveh and says in 40 days, death and destruction, God's going to annihilate everybody. That's what Jonah wanted because he hated the Assyrians. He didn't even want to go there. You know the story. He goes the opposite direction. He gets swallowed up by a big fish and burped out on land. Okay? And then he goes through the city and he preaches Doom, doom and destruction. And what happens? The entire nation repents before God. The entire nation. And then God relents from the judgment that he was going to promise. See? God lied. No, God didn't lie. God's being completely consistent with his character. First of all, he already knows that Jonah doesn't want to go, and he knows that Jonah is going to go, and he knows that the people are ready to repent. And so he's not surprised by that. So he didn't change his mind because of a lack of information. What he did is he came into alignment with what his character is and that any time anybody repents and anybody looks up to him and turns and says, I'm sorry, he will receive that and he will change. Whatever maybe was scheduled or planned maybe will be changed and that person will come into grace and come into relationship. That's just consistent with his character. It's not a lie or God changed his mind. No, God 
knew what was going to happen, but he wanted the people to come to him. It says in Exodus 34, 5, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses, and he called out his own name, Yahweh, which means the Lord. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. The character of God. Notice, a God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. And he says, I forgive iniquity and rebellion and sin. That's who he is. But there's another side to that. I do not excuse the guilty. That's another side too. We don't want to focus on the one and miss the other. See, God doesn't change his mind, but he always acts and reacts consistent with who he is, his nature. It doesn't change. And God always does what he says he will do. Has he ever spoken and failed to act, Balaam says? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? And the answer is no. He always has, every time. So God's omnipotent, that's another word, which means, I think someone said that here today. He's all-powerful. Jeremiah 32 says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth. By your strong hand and powerful arm, nothing is too hard for you. You show unfailing love to thousands, but you also bring the consequences of one generation's sin upon the next. See, that's the other side of that. You are the great and powerful God, the Lord of heaven's armies. You have all wisdom and do great and mighty miracles. You see the conduct of all people and you give them what they deserve. That's consistent with the character of God. In so many nations in this world, because of corrupt leadership or evil dictators, so many of those nations are getting just what they deserve because of the direction that they're in. God is just. He is. It's not that everything is good, but God is just. We want a God who will one day balance everything. Right now, it's like, man, things don't always seem so fair or balanced. One day, everything will be balanced. It's what God said he will do. He will institute Jesus Christ on the throne, and he will reign and rule, and there will be justice on earth. One day. One day. Verse 27, he says, I am the Lord, the God of, uh, of all the peoples of the world. Is there anything too hard for me? He's, he's all-powerful. So because God is all-powerful, he's sovereign over all. He does what he wants, when he wants to, however he wants to, without giving an explanation to anyone. It's just the way it is. It's the way God is. And he's infinite. He's outside of time. He created time. And yet, those are some amazing characteristics, qualities of God. They're amazing. I mean, they're, they're hard to even understand. But here's one that I get. And I, 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 I want to 
I want to hold on to this one. He's unchanging. He never changes. That which he has promised, he will do. That's why Paul the Apostle said, God began a good work in you, and he will be faithful to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. God enters into a covenant with Abraham. And guess what? Abraham's asleep, just like a dude, huh? <laughs> Pretty big day, Abraham. You're about to enter in covenant with God. God put him to sleep. And God made a covenant with himself about what he would do for Abraham and his descendants. That's a covenant-keeping God who keeps his promises, who will do what he said he will do. It is religion that changes. It is man-made religion that believes this on Monday and then believes this on Friday. And you wonder, wait a second. See, this is one of the downsides of so many religious systems where their early leaders wrote a lot of stuff down. We can analyze what they said. Wait a second. The founder of your group says this. Now you're telling me this. How did that change? Somebody had a vision. <laughs> also called public pressure. Also called you can't possibly survive as a religious group in America with these belief systems anymore. So sometime around the 70s or 60s or early 80s it changed. Oh, and how did that happen? Who's the decision maker? Since this is what the founder says, but see, that's like, I'm not good with that. So like last week, you wouldn't even have been able to be a part of the church or the group. And then by Saturday, you're back in again. Well, how does that work? And what about all those people that you kicked to the curb because they didn't believe the way you believe and you said they were wrong? Oh, guess what? You're going to call them all and say, huh, you were right. Come on back. No, I, I can't, I can't operate like that. Hey, the God, you know, God doesn't change. He's the same. He's not going to one day say, okay, okay, Jesus is not the only way. What? <laughs> you know? That's not going to happen. There's not going to be some new revelation, you know, like a New Testament version 5.0. No, I don't need that. No. No, you got to get the new version, bro. Everybody's going to heaven. Time out, man. What version are you talking about? I don't even know that. Because that's not consistent with his character, with his word. He doesn't have to change it. Yeah, people say, oh, you Christians believe all kinds of things. Nobody believes the same thing. Well, that's not true. We have a lot of various beliefs on various things, but there are some essentials that are non-negotiable because they're not changing because God won't change. Now, does that, is that okay? Are you cool with that? I, I, I am. I mean, I, I need that. That's what I need. Well, I want to read kind of, uh, kind of one last scripture, and then we'll kind of get into a, uh, a, a, there's a little a video that I want to show you. It's in Hebrews chapter 6, and, and, and the, the writer to the, the, the Hebrews has been talking about Abraham and the covenant that God made with Abraham and the promise that God made to Abraham. And basically God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a mighty nation. Your descendants are going to be like the sands on the seashore. And by the way, I'm going to do this, okay, because you're not always going to be with me on this, all right? Uh, you're going to be here, and then you're going to be down in Egypt. You're going to say your sister, your wife's your sister. And, uh, no, so I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And, and so he's in the context of that, he shifts gears and talks about the promises that we have. Okay, so, so let's read it, and then we'll unpack it real quickly, all right? It says, uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse uh, 16. 
how when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. So speaking of oaths and calling in, in covenant language, the God of this land or the God of this culture would call God into this. I promise by Zeus. I promise by God. Right. Uh, when you testify in court. So help me, God, you're, you're you're calling God into that. OK, so you're 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 giving an oath uh, on someone greater than yourselves. And so there's he's saying you're bound by that. And without any question, that oath is binding. Right. OK, verse 17. God also bound himself with an oath. God bound, binds himself with an oath. So that those who receive the promise, that is the, 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 the gift of salvation and the promise of it, could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Right? The assurance of your salvation. Oh, I don't know. Am I Christian? Am I not? I've asked Jesus to forgive me, but I've had such a rotten week. Am I even a Christian? What is the character of God? What has he said about that? Nobody's perfect. We're going to have ups and downs and highs and lows. But do you have relationship with him? That's the key. Verse 18. So God has given us his promise and his oath. Everybody say his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because, we already know this, it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary, Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Take just a few minutes to unpack this, all right? God has bound himself with an oath, means that you could say God committed by giving his word. Because when God gives his word, he binds himself to his word, and he always redeems his word because he always accomplishes that what he says, every time. If God says it, God will do it. It's the minute God says it and doesn't do it, he's not God. It's impossible for him to lie. He can't do that. So uh, he has guaranteed it. His promise and his oath are the two things that are unchangeable because it's impossible for him to lie. Therefore, it says we have great confidence. In your abilities, I'm a hold on God. God, I'm your man. You know, I'm here with you, ride or die. You know what, man, God, I'm not doing so well today. God says, that's okay. I got your back. I'm going to get you to the next level. I'm going to get you through this. You got to rely on me. You're tired and you're fighting and it's difficult because you're relying on your own strength. But you know what? Have confidence because that hope is an anchor for your soul. Now, what does an anchor do? What does it do? Holds you down. Holds you in place. I mean, the, everything up on the surface could be a little wavy, but that anchor will hold you. But notice that an anchor goes down. This anchor goes up. So everything in heaven is calm and peaceful, and it's the presence of God. But on earth, it's wavy, and it's shifty, and it's like this. That hope becomes an anchor, something you, you sink up into. 
what God has done and what he has promised. And the Amplified Bible says it cannot slip, it cannot break down under whatever pressure bears upon it. He goes on and says, I'll read verse 19, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone there before us and has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And the high priest's responsibility was to go into the most holy place once a year to offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. Okay? He was the mediator between the people and God. Now we have a better mediator because the high priest went in to the presence of God and came out. Jesus resides in that holy place. That's where he abides. And he intercedes for it. He prepares the way for us. He intercedes for us from earth to heaven. He prays for us from heaven to earth. And one day he will receive us into that place. He's our advocate. Do you have an advocate with God? You don't get to heaven without an advocate. You need someone to get you there. Who's your advocate? I know who mine is. By God's grace, my advocate is Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and man. I need an advocate with the Father, and that's who Jesus is. So that leads me to a place of intimacy. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, speaking of the timelessness of Jesus, says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then he says this, so do not be attracted by strange new ideas. <laughs> Don't be attracted by the latest fad. Oh, scholars say that Jesus never said that. What scholars? You know, you can go to school and get a Ph.D. and call yourself a scholar, I guess. doesn't make you a truth-sayer. There are a lot of scholars who don't speak truth, right? And there are many who do, and they're growing in that number. By the way, I think we'd be sending our young people into places of higher education to be apologists, to be people who are missionaries in our high schools and in our colleges, defending the faith. Anyway, a little video clip we're going to show you. It's a song that um, hopefully you can breathe in. <laughs> 